In football, anything can happen on the field, and your level of confidence determines how you handle it. And the same goes for moving. It's exactly why Penske Truck Rental equips you with as much confidence as possible to handle whatever comes your way. They do it with newer, cleaner, safer trucks. It's Penske Truck Rental that will help you move with confidence. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Happy Tuesday uh, to you. Uh, we are in the quarter turn of the season. we got a lot to get to today. we got some news. Uh, diving deep into uh, some of the new transfer rules and the way that they've been applied, particularly as they pertain to uh, where when a player could redshirt. And uh, that's that's sort of changing uh, a little bit about the math that some of these players have around college football. Diving into that, we've also got our quarter mark superlatives, uh, and as always, our uh, our team on the move. We'll be focusing on the Florida Gators. But first, welcoming in Barton Simmons. Barton, how you doing, buddy? What up, man? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm uh, I'm I'm starting to gear up from a from a big weekend in State College, PA. <sighs> Uh, so should be, I'm, I'm pumped, man. It's going to be a good weekend for football. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Do you have a, uh, as, as you are preparing for your travels and for, uh, you know, getting there, I mean the, one of the biggest games of the entire college football season. And I, I think that that's one of the things that we, we didn't have, we didn't have to see a single football game to know that this one was going to be a big one. As you are uh, preparing for it, what do, are you already trying to get your game prediction in? Are you already trying to like? Are you going to lock it up? Can you emotionally handle that in the press box, rooting for a lock and also maintaining your professional standards? No, uh, but you know it's like on game day when they, uh, you know, if, if Herbie's calling a game, can't he, cup, can't he passes it. on the lock. <laughs> you know, I just that's there's too much conflict of interest there. I'd have to stay. No, I. I the only reason I'm not going to lock it up is because I don't really know what's going to happen. I think I'm very tempted to take Penn State because of the environment, and and yet Ohio State is so talented that it's so hard to bet against them. Um, but I've never been to uh, a Penn State game before, uh, and I've and I've certainly never been to a whiteout game before, and so that environment is going to be wild, and uh, and I'm excited to experience it. The uh, let's let's hit some news and notes first. Uh, Barton, your boy Trevor Lawrence. The the time has come. You know we we had discussed throughout the preseason and even in the early season that the Clemson quarterback situation, the the future was always going to be uh, the freshman from Cartersville, Georgia. After the performance against Georgia Tech, where he he got more work in, uh, he looked really good. You mentioned on the the recap podcast on Sunday, you know, like all of a sudden a Clemson offense that was just going for three yards, five yards punt. Then all of a sudden the touchdown drives come. Uh, the Trevor Lawrence era is here. Are you are you ready to celebrate it? I am ready to celebrate Dabo Sweeney making a difficult. But correct decision because you know what? Give them credit. 
it sure seems easy from the sideline to say go with Trevor Lawrence, uh, but it's a lot harder when you're sitting in that coach's chair, I would imagine. And so I'm going to give him a lot of credit for doing this because I do think this is the right decision. I do think that they're the better team with Trevor Lawrence. And I think that they will be that much more prepared. Like if you throw Trevor Lawrence in in the playoffs, then you might have to experience some some growing pains in real time. But if you let him grow against Syracuse, Wake, NC State, and Florida State and Louisville, then by the time you get down to Duke, South Carolina, ACC championship game playoffs, you've got a pretty seasoned quarterback. And it's clear to me that they're the better team with Trevor Lawrence or have the, the, have the higher ceiling, have the more upside, can win the games that they need to win uh, late in the year or in the, in the postseason with Trevor Lawrence. So credit Dabo for making a tough call, benching a, an experienced upperclassman who's won a lot of football games and going with the, the guy that gives them a better chance long term. And I, I think that when it comes to thinking about the way the team reacts to this, it's important to note that like the, the Clemson players, the Clemson staff, like the everything that Trevor Lawrence has shown both on the field, in practice, and in spring practice, and, and off the field around his teammates, like no one has a, a bad word to say about him right now. And it's a similar situation, I think, to what we saw in Tuscaloosa where – you know, the the wide receivers saw what Tua was doing in practice. They they knew what could happen when he comes in the game and the the team is is rallying around him just as much and now I I expect we will see a similar situation here where it is no knock to Kelly Bryant, but every like everyone in that wide receiver room knows that the game is just totally changed in terms of what's going to be expected of them, the workload that they're going to get with number 16 under center. Yeah, they, they want the guy that gives them the best chance of winning. And like I, I think I'm sure they all have a ton of respect for, for Kelly Bryant. But, I mean, T. Higgins and Justin Ross and Amari Rodgers and it up. all those wide receivers, are, are you know, they're anxious to be in an offense that has a quarterback that gives them the best chance of going out and making plays. And Kelly Bryant's been fine. But Trevor Lawrence is just a better thrower. And, I, you know, that opens up things in the run game. And, um, you know that makes them more explosive and dynamic, and so uh, I, I just I think that they're going to rally around him because, like you said, he's almost like a robot. He's almost out of you know central casting for quarterback, you know, hero guy, whatever. Like that's he's straight out of like Varsity Blues, or you know, he's just the the quarterback, long hair, tall, well spoken, doesn't let anything fluster him. Has has handled the you know, the burden of being the number one player in the country for four years and now heads it, you know, now he's saying all the right things as the starter. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, he, he's ready for this. Dude, Clemson fans, uh, I feel like, I feel like he's so beautiful and he's so good. <laughs> he's just, Clemson fans are going to be feeling some kind of way about this kid for about three years. I know, I know. <laughs> well, for me, it's like I've been, I've been covering this kid or, or, or you know, following him. Literally, since uh, he he was a true freshman or true freshman, he was a freshman starter in high school, and uh, threw for three thousand yards as a, as a freshman, won state championships the next three years until his I think I don't think he won his senior year, but but made it to the championship game like, and now you're gonna have, like it feels like he's already should be like 
declaring for the NFL this year. Like we got three years of this guy. It's gonna be that's gonna be a headache for for ACC defenses. Um, I as as we gotten into this, it's it's on such a light note. I don't I don't want to gloat necessarily anymore. But do you want to hear the tape on uh your your post Texas A and M Kelly Bryant? Uh, yeah, I'm like now I'm like curious what I said. All okay, right, yeah, bring it on. All right, here we go. Apart, you know, like have they is that the only team that really provides that kind of threat to them like I guess I mean I don't think we have any faith that Florida State can pick it apart no I mean uh, I mean I think there's as much of a chance South Carolina in like probably the most likely spot for him to get overtaken of the season I think he may have just held Trevor Lawrence off we're gonna see Trevor Lawrence all year but I feel like by the time the playoffs come around Kelly Bryant will still be our starter starting quarterback after after last night I've seen some of the most. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Let me just let me just say this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, like that, I think what that take was was that they wouldn't ever get challenged enough to where they feel like they have to move to Trevor Lawrence, and that still is true to a degree. Like they didn't, Georgia Tech didn't nearly beat them. And I don't see anyone else in their schedule, frankly, that's going to really challenge them. Um, that wasn't me saying that, like, suddenly I thought Kelly Bryant was the better option or anything. It was just sort of my initial theory was at some point they're not going to be able to win with Kelly Bryant and they're going to need to switch to Trevor Lawrence. I don't think they need to switch to Trevor Lawrence, but it's, like I said, I think it's the smarter play Agree. in terms of long time, long-term upside. Um, we had some uh, devastating injury news, particularly for Virginia Tech. Uh, just uh, Josh Jackson out indefinitely, basically a, a broken leg for him. Who knows if he's even going to be able to make it back this season? The the ACC Coastal man, I like like you've got Nikosi Perry starting to to edge his way in at Miami. So in a sense, we're still in in the world that we started in preseason, where Miami's probably a, a tier above everyone else. Duke certainly going four zero in non conference play has been really encouraging, but that schedule is back loaded with road games at Clemson and at Miami. Uh, but man, for for the Hokies, you, you've got the ODU loss. You've got. Uh, Trevon Hill, one of your better defensive. Did he get ends. hurt? Did, did did Jackson get hurt in that ODU game? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was early in that game. Oh, so was the so Ryan Will was Ryan Willis the quarterback for most of that game? Peoples was. Who? Uh, isn't it Stephen Peoples? Oh gosh, I don't know. No, no, Ryan Willis took over. You're right. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 And uh, and Ryan Willis will be the starter for this weekend when Virginia Tech plays at Duke. Brutal, yeah. Like so to, to back up, back up on backup there. What's the? Uh, do you when you're looking at from where from where uh, Virginia Tech sort of launched into after the Florida State win with Florida everything that Florida State has become with the the you know drop back that the Hokies have had. How how do you sort of gauge what to expect from that team the rest of the season? Because I'm I'm tempted to. I'm tempted, tempted to at least uh, sell stock in terms of my expectations. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, it, it's almost like the, the reverse in sense of like someone's going to need to convince me why I should be optimistic about Virginia Tech. Um, 
I mean, the the Florida State loss is one. I mean, the Florida State win being sort of devalued is one thing, but I haven't. I mean, I clearly I didn't even know who was playing quarterback. I haven't watched that old Dominion game, but I've seen the score, and I'm sort of having a hard time wrapping my head around Virginia Tech going and losing Old Dominion. Uh, so I don't know why. Why? Why should? What's? What have they shown to make us believe that they are? A really good football team I mean are they Syracuse beat Florida State just as bad as they did yeah if, if not worse um, and so you know there, there's I, I don't know I I, I, I I don't know what to believe with Virginia Tech at this point uh, Northwestern loses running back Jeremy Larkin he's going to retire from football after a recent uh, diagnosis of cervical stenosis it's not life-threatening, uh, but it is going to end his football career. Man, the, uh, the the hits continue to keep on coming. We also have Nick Bosa, uh, his family, starting to to talk to some reporters. I'm, I'll say this. Do you think that you will see Nick Bosa back on the field in the 2018 regular season? Uh, yeah, I bet, I, I bet we do. Because but of, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the quote from his dad was it was major surgery or something. Um. So I guess you never know how the recovery is going to go, but I, I, I think he's a he's, yes, I, I bet we see him again. And one of the big other sort of reels of news that we got at the beginning of this week was a rash of transfers, and this is particularly notable because in some of the changes to uh, NCAA legislation this past off season, uh, it was really intended, I, I assumed when the legislation was passed, to be able to help players preserve eligibility in situations where, you know, similar to an injury, where you might be able to still take a red shirt if you have played in four games or less. Now, maybe an unintended consequence, or at least one of the ways that this is played out in practice, is that players who plan to transfer have decided that after if you have played in four games or less, you can decide to redshirt that season and then have that serve as your redshirt year for a transfer. This also serves to preserve a year of eligibility for graduate transfers. So for these you know, three-year redshirt, uh, you know, redshirt sophomores, redshirt juniors, players who are close to completing their undergraduate degree, uh, they can choose at this point in their career to, you know, four games or less. All right, I'm out. I'm going to take this as a redshirt year. I'm going to preserve a year of eligibility, transfer somewhere else, and be immediately eligible. Some of the names that have come out so far from this rule, we've seen uh, John Broussard at Auburn. Nate Craig Myers at Auburn, Todd Griffin from Oregon, Jalen Harris at Auburn, Darius Lemons from Florida, Jalen McCleskey from Oklahoma State, Devin Modster from UCLA, Javon Myers, who's Nate Craig's Myers' half-brother at Auburn, and Jonathan Nance from Arkansas. So we might see even more of these as you know, pretty much everyone has played four games or less, but uh, Barton, as... As you have, I always sort of trust your expertise on, you know, player movement and some and per, all things personnel. Was this something that you anticipated coming into the season after the new rule was passed? Oh, I, I, I don't think the coaches saw this coming either. This one was, uh, I mean, it, it's because what was intended to be just sort of a, a way to protect, obviously eligibility and and sort of give give more 
opportunity to the players intend, intended to be sort of within their own program has turned into this free agency. And I got to be honest with you, like I'm usually very pro, you know, pro player in these situations and, and pro, you know, transfer, do what you got to do, especially at the quarterback positions. I've defended that a lot because, you know, there's only one quarterback that plays. And But I don't know, this kind of rubs me like the wrong way a little bit. If if I mean, it's one thing if you're not playing at all, I guess. But if you're out there contributing and you're four games into the year, it's a quarter of the season in, and you're just going to say, all right, peace. Like, I'm going to go see if I can get a little little edge up my, 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 my numbers somewhere else. That, I don't know. That's, that feels very, like, I'm, I'm still pro teammate. Like, I, I still think there's value in being a teammate. I still think that there's, it's, it's important to, like, I think a lot of these guys, like, if they're sort of giving up on the season right now, who knows what their season will be looking like in four weeks. Who knows what it's going to look like in five weeks, and who knows what they're going to walk into somewhere else? Like it's not all like grass isn't always greener, and so this is sort of a. I think there's some weird decisions to be made. Like uh, Jalen McCluskey is is among the leading receivers right now for Oklahoma State, and a team that looked like they had a chance to make some noise in the Big Twelve after the Boise State win. Obviously, they lost to Texas Tech. Maybe there's frustration in play for McCluskey, but. I, you know, that's, that to me is, uh, that's just a weird, that's a weird decision. Like, I just wonder how many of these guys were, I, I would be curious whether they were, you know, mulling this over preseason, knew this was a possibility that they were going to take. Um, you know, I guess I get it if they're already unhappy and they're just going to give it four games and see if things get better or whatever. But um, that's a lot of movement, man. And so I, I, I found this to be uh, kind of tough to, tough to you know I kind of grappling with this one a little bit and figure out whether this is a good thing or a bad thing for the players if you're a head coach how do you balance uh and certainly recruiting is always going on and and there's you know i would never allege tampering but you're always trying to be in the know about uh what op- opportunities are there but if you're a coach there's always the potential that a player could be unhappy and then transfer out how, how do you also balance now the idea that there's all these dudes that are now free agents like does this does this take the recruiting process and and now extend it even more into like as you said a free agency market where uh coaches player personnel development and you know all of the assistants and assistants assistants are trying to figure out who might be available uh through at this point in the year such that your recruiting efforts are not only being spent at the high schools, but also trying to get some of these uh, graduate transfers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, that like it's like Jalen ev- McCluskey's family is going to be getting some phone calls right now. Right, and I, you know, and his his uh, his dad's actually a DB coach at Tulane. Mm. Um, so I wonder, you know, hey, maybe he ends up to Tulane. Who knows? But I, I think the. I mean, I think the player, director of player personnel or the personnel department in college programs is getting increasingly more important, increasingly more of a complicated job. And this is just another facet of it that like, the transfer game is, is turning up significantly over the last few years. Grad transfers and now this, whatever we're calling this, redshirt transfers. Um, and so, yeah, like this is, this is – 
whoever starts to figure out a way to capitalize on this is, is going to be at a major advantage. Um, and I don't know, but I mean, I, look, I didn't see this coming at all. I really didn't. And, and I just didn't think guys were going to be that one foot in one foot out of a, of a current season. I figured most guys made those decisions before or after seasons, but maybe that was a naive perspective of me. I, I clearly it was. I've got a cynical view of this in a way where I think it might like if I'm a head coach and I'm, I'm thinking about this, just I'll, I'll give some, some context here. So uh, we mentioned a couple of those names. Several of them are from Auburn, right? Um, yep. And that LSU game was a big recruiting weekend and sort of my path to and from the press box in the field was like through the kitchen of their recently built recruiting center and it, they had a ton of dudes and they had big dudes and like guys, I mean, like I was walking around and it, you, you do it. I don't, but I, I, it still gets me when I see the baby face and the freak body, you know, right? you know, right. I'm just like, damn, you are 17 years old and you're a monster right now. Right. And I was thinking about it. Like if you're a head coach and, and a player just hasn't been able to crack the rotation and it hasn't really panned out. Would you rather have that scholarship? And as high school players are more ready to contribute immediately, and as we're seeing more and more freshmen and redshirt freshmen and sophomores make an instant impact, does is, this, is it possible that this is something that can be pro player, but also as you're trying to build a program? Like, yes, it's more volatile, but that's an extra scholarship that you can do to try and load up in your next class. Yeah, but you can't you can't fill that scholarship in the middle of the season. No, it's and, it hurts you in the season for sure. Yeah, so I mean, I yeah, like I I I don't disagree with that. That um, you know, if, if for every kid that leaves that, that isn't bought in, you know, you can you can go find a kid that will buy in. Sure, uh, but at the same, but like these guys are are bouncing in the in the heart of the season, and and that's that scout team reps, that's depth, that's injury depth that you that you don't have anymore that's i mean jalen harris was a rotational tight end for auburn like that's a that's not an insignificant loss um so i i just think and nate craig myers too man that's part of their wide receiver rotation um and yeah so i the the arkansas dude was their best their their leading receiver uh so there's you know those it's like I feel like that really kind of hamstrings programs to, to lose depth during the year that didn't come from just natural injury attrition. Like it comes from just dudes bouncing, saying, peace out. Like I got it. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do me. Um, which, Hey, more power to you, but it, it, it puts coaches, I think in a tough, tough spot. And I don't know how you, I mean, I guess you just sort of create an environment where guys want to play for each other and get guys that are going to buy into that sort of environment. Um, because, you know, they're all, I don't know, the programs that kids are are are, are transferring out of, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious if that says anything about the state of the locker room of those programs. Yeah, I was. Okay, so state of the locker room, certainly uh, one thing that I was looking at with Auburn, particularly as we continue to try and figure out what that team's season is going to look like. But uh, – <laughs> It, I I look at Jalen McCleskey, and I do not mean this as just a 
I hope this does not come across as lazy, but after being a player who played with Mason Rudolph, I wonder if he's looking at his quarterback and thinking, yeah, I'm not getting the ball. Yeah, but he, this, yeah, I mean, maybe, but it's just crazy to me that this is, he can make that determination after basically what one bad, I mean, they were rolling before that. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor Cornelius threw for 400 and something yards, um, uh, in, against South Alabama. I mean, I guess he's, you know, he's not been prolific to date and McCleskey hadn't, you know, his, his best game was 66 yards in the opener. He had 11 yards against South Alabama. He had 26 yards against Boise State and 52 against Texas Tech. And perhaps, you know, that's just not going to cut it for him. Um, I mean, I think he said, like, I don't feel like I'm being used to my ability. Um, so, you know, what are you going to do? I guess there's, I mean, there's some other guys. Tyron, I guess Tyron Johnson and, and, um, you know, Tylen Wallace and Dylan Stoner, and there's just not enough balls to go around at this point. I've seen some of the most talented athletes fail because they lacked one essential ingredient, confidence. Without it, everything goes to waste. It'll make or break any athlete, and the same is true with life off the field too, especially with moving. It's why Penske Truck Rentals arms their customers with as much confidence as possible to make their moves successful, like offering newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Every truck undergoes a multi-point inspection. Plus, you'll get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. So whether you're moving all the way across the country or just across town, Penske Truck Rentals helps you move with confidence. And now it's time for Penske Truck Rentals teams on the move. So we've had lots of moves in our lives, and it's it can get really stressful sometimes, but... The, one of the stressful moves that has to go on right now is as the Florida Gators are going to be on the move, they're headed to Starkville. It is a homecoming of sorts for Dan Mullen as he faces the Bulldogs. There will be plenty of intimate knowledge of that personnel that Mullen is able to bring for the Gators. Uh, Mississippi State, of course, reeling after the loss to Kentucky. Florida just absolutely uh, blew out Tennessee last season. So as we're looking at the Gators, and in particular in this matchup, Barton, is is this a spot where you think that uh, we're going to get to learn a little bit more about Florida because at this point in the season in in the SEC East that we have have discussed a lot, uh, Florida with its loss to Kentucky, it blew out Tennessee. You've got its non-con games, which you know Charleston Southern and Colorado State. Nothing, nothing really that I was able to take away there. Like what what are we expecting to see from the Gators in Starkville? Uh, I think we're going to see. I mean, first of all, like it's going to be fascinating to see that that um, reunion. Is that what we call this? What what is what is this? Homecoming. The, the homecoming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like um, Dan Mullen has been like talking about how his wife didn't have much to do in Starkville, but online shop and, and and things like that. Like I wonder what kind of warm reception he will or won't get because he did a lot for that program. Um, but ultimately, what we've seen out of Florida, this is going to be a great a great test as we recalibrate everything that we've seen through the first four weeks. You know, I think we recalibrate that Kentucky loss and think, all right, that wasn't such a big deal. Um, Kentucky's a good team. You know, we, we, we recalibrate the, and look, I think this is sort of a similar test to Kentucky because Mississippi state's kind of the same team in a lot of ways, 
really physical on both sides of the ball, athletic quarterback that's got some passing limitations. Um, and Kentucky beat Florida up at the line of scrimmage. And so has there been evolution with this Florida roster and getting tougher and more physical? And, I mean, I think that they won the line of scrimmage against Tennessee, uh, but Tennessee's is a different level of challenge that Mississippi State's going to be, and this Mississippi State game is going to be, obviously, on the road in Starkville. Wild environment, evening, nighttime, kick. Uh, so, you know, we're close. We're close to figuring out what all these teams are. I think this is the next step in figuring out uh, who Florida is because I think that they could go in there and win this game, and, and I think that there's a scenario they go in there and get dominated physically once again, uh, like they did against uh, Kentucky. I do, I do not have confidence that Florida is going to be able to move the ball on the ground against Mississippi State, and I am interested to see what kind of game plan Dan Mullen has in place to help make life easier on Felipe Franks because uh, that Mississippi State defensive line, I, I think they're, what, top four in the SEC? Uh, and yes, you see, sure. Yeah. I, think I so. mean, this, it, it is a nasty group and I, I look at that and I'm like, all right, I, cause I don't have much confidence in Florida's offensive line and you know, you got to try to make life easy on Felipe Franks. And so if they're not going to be able to run the ball, what, what is the game plan going to be to eliminate one of Mississippi state strengths? Are you going to be able to find matchups, uh, in through the passing game or scheme something up, uh, on the other side, this is a, I think this is a huge spot for that Florida defense going up against Nick Fitzgerald and uh, and Mississippi State, I I I will I will be ready to be proven wrong, and I am not ready to tease a lock yet. But Florida going on the move this week, I I wonder if you know I feel I feel like it's a, a dramatic. If Florida wins this game, I feel very very positively. If Florida loses this game, and if they lose it uh, by a significant margin. I feel like my hunch will be proven right about where Florida sits in that. Like when we re-ranked the SEC East, did we both have Florida in the bottom half? Uh, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we had. I think. What, yeah. We. I think what we thought felt like Kentucky, Missouri, South and Carolina. South Carolina were the next, the sort of the t- second tier. Yeah. Behind I, Georgia, I think I add Florida to the top tier if they can go to Starkville and get a win. I think if they lose this game by 10, then my hunch is confirmed. I agree with that. I also think this is a team where we could see steady improvement. I could see. I think we could see a team that's a lot better in week six than they were in week two. Um, and and we'll, you know, but this will this will be a, a, a litmus test for if that improvement is taking place uh, because you know Tennessee was fine last week, but that that wasn't really the kind of test that we we learned much from other than learn Tennessee's got a ways to go. And that is teams on the move presented by Penske truck rental. Uh, you know, we have seen all kinds of tough moves in our lifetime, but Penske truck rental tries to offer confidence to customers. They offer newer, cleaner trucks. They are among the safest on the road. Thanks to the multi-point inspections. They get unlimited miles on one way rentals. So whether you're moving across town or across the country, do it with Penske truck rental. All right, superlative time. Uh, at the end of the year, maybe we'll start playing some graduation music or something along those lines. But we got a lot of superlatives to do. We are a quarter of the way through the season. 
and it's it's about to start picking up pace. Barton, I feel like from week five to like the Bama that Bama LSU weekend, which I think also always has Stanford, Oregon. Like from here to that first weekend in November, it's going to be a little bit of a blur. It's going to have all kinds of weird results. We're going to get big time upsets. Like this is where you go into middle October and you think that Ole Miss and Mississippi State are number one and two in the country type stuff. So we, I, I want, I want to take a take a breather and do some superlatives because I think that I think that things are about to get real crazy in college football. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clip this stuff up and uh, and save it for when all these teams we like collapse and uh, <laughs> and all these things we're doubting start making their surges. Because you're right, man. That's a great point. There's a there's a lot of ball to play. Um. All right. Let's start with what do you, do you have a most surprising team? Uh. Yeah. Well, I went with Kentucky here. Um. And you know, I remember I didn't talk to this coach, but I remember sort of. I remember t- once removed talking to someone that talked to a Kentucky coach who was like, everyone's talking about all these SEC teams that are going to be improved this year. And no one's like, what? We're going to be improved. No one's talking about us. And it's kind of, it's a good point. And it, it, it so far has turned out to be right in the sense that Kentucky has just been overlooked preseason. Uh, look, they they did things really well yet last year. They had an identity, and that identity returns. That the run game returns. The the offensive line returns. The defense, sort of top to bottom, returns. Um, and I think the one question was was quarterback. And I certainly had my doubts about quarterback. But again, they don't ask their quarterback to do a lot. They really do a good job of of of, of finding of, of of asking their quarterbacks to play within themselves. And to that point, like as everyone else is building these cultures, as everyone else is trying to sort of create something uh, with new coaching staffs and and resurgent programs, Kentucky's just sitting there and they're in year whatever with with Mark Stoops, and they are they are something. They are they know who they are, and I I've been really impressed with. I mean, obviously, big win against Mississippi State. Went at on the road against Florida, um, broke a whatever thirty-two game losing streak or whatever it is against Florida, um, and then Mississippi State. You know we have thought is one of the better teams in college football, and they go and just sort of smack them, out physical a physical team. And so, I have been pleasantly surprised by Kentucky. I really like this team. They're they're fun to watch, and uh, I, to me, they're one of the stories of the early season. Yeah. I, I, I figured you were going to go with Kentucky, and but I feel like you've also got copyright. Uh, you've got Kentucky boxed off for this podcast. So um, <laughs> how about Cincinnati? Yeah. 4-0. Luke yeah. Fickle, Mike Denbrock getting it done. Uh, obviously, we'll get to see you know where this goes for the Bearcats once they get, get into the thick of uh, American Athletic Conference play. But given where the American Athletic Conference is in right now, I, I kind of feel like Cincinnati has a – has a chance to to take some steps forward after, as we mentioned, being like one of the more woeful teams a year ago. Maybe that maybe that UCLA win was not all about where UCLA is, but also where Cincinnati is. And then the other one I wanted to add BYU with uh, that's that's a similar situation where the jump from 2017 to 2018 
is so significant and so impressive. Tanner Mangum looks good. The offense has some edge to it. Uh, good job by Kalani Sataki. And now look at this BYU-Washington game. What looked like a part of the Washington cupcake-type narrative is now a potential great win for the Huskies, but also a huge opportunity for the Cougars uh, in terms of you know that program continuing to try and build confidence and re-energize itself as a top-half team among Power 5 conferences. Cincinnati's going to go 5-0 this weekend. That'll top their win total from last year. 4-8 and eight last year, they're about to be 5-0 in, in week 5. And I know they haven't played a murderer's row, but you know, the, the, those MAC teams can can give you some trouble. Um, UCLA is is there's there's a there's sort of a mental barrier you've got to break through for a team like Cincinnati coming off a four and a season to beat a team like like UCLA on the road at that. Uh, and so that that's I think yeah I, I like that and, and I like the. Um, uh, who's the, who? Who do I just talk about? Who BYU who said BYU BYU? Yeah, uh, and I'll talk. I'll touch a little on BYU as well later. Uh, my other one of the most surprising team that I want to sort of give credit to, who I underestimated before the season, is West Virginia. Uh, what they've and and they've not played a great schedule either, but what they've done so far on the defensive side of the ball has given me a ton of optimism about that program this year. Um, you know, they, they're getting after it. And they're, you know, they are, what, scoring defense. They're number one in the country. They're averaging, they're giving up 12.3 yards or 12.3 points per game. Yep. Um, I mean, that's, look, I, like I said, they, they haven't played a, a ton. And, I, man, I wish with that, that, we could have seen that NC State West Virginia game because that would have we would have learned a lot. But I'm I am at the point now, and I was very dismissive of West Virginia before the season as a legitimate Big Twelve title contender. I'm willing to entertain it. Same. Uh, I'm willing. To, I'm, I'm. You know, they've got a, a Heisman candidate at quarterback, and they've got a defense that's back to a Tony Gibson style defense that really gets after you. So they're going to be a tough out. All right. What about most disappointing? Uh, I'll start it here. The Louisville Cardinals. I had no idea that the bottom was going to fall out like this. Uh, we've got quarterback changes already. And the vibe around, uh, not necessarily around the program from a leadership standpoint or a, you know, like coaching player standpoint, but just, just sort of taking the the temperature of the fan base and some of the other people that cover, cover the team really closely. It, it is so stark the contrast because there is about half of the fan base that is saying, you know what? Bobby Petrino has done so much for this program. Uh, just, you know, look at all of, all of these different improvements in both tenures that he has had. He brought a Heisman trophy here. Uh, you know, we joined the ACC. We've leveled up in competition so many times. And, and each time we were there, I mean, heck in, in 2016, they tied Clemson for the Atlantic Division Championship, only losing on the head-to-head battle, which was a like a one-score home loss. They're saying Bobby Petrino's done enough that there doesn't, you know, we don't need to panic right now. The defense will learn. The defense will improve. The other half is ready to pull the plug. The other half is like, this is so bad. We should not allow 
the quality of football. We should not be at the bottom of the ACC. And how those two sides either uh, continue to differ or whether there's some sort of compromise between them two, I think is one of the not more intriguing ACC storylines, but certainly one to watch given what uh, the what the Louisville program or what the Louisville job could be should it become open. This one isn't a surprise because I, I had I had kind of a hunch that it was going to go this way. I picked them in my unders uh, win totals. I, I I knew the quarterback was not going to be a, a, an overly. I mean, there was going to be a drop off there. Um, I I had doubts about the coordinator hire. I it just there. Look, I, I think I've said it before. It feels sloppy there, and and now it's looking sloppy on the field, and so. I'm not calling this a, a disappointing team uh, because I, I sort of expected this a little bit, but I'm, I do think that this is like a, legitimately, like I think probably right now, to me, his seat is the hottest. Oh, even over like a, I don't even know who, I guess Fedora or I don't know who else the options would be. But to me, I think Petrino's seat is the hottest. Hmm. Uh, my team most disappointing is Florida State. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I did some. I did some. I'm out there with some pretty damning commentary on, on the Florida State expectations. Uh, I just thought they had more talent than this. They do have more talent than this. I thought the tra- the transition would be a little bit easier. You know, the transition wasn't terrible last year at Oregon. Under Willie Taggart, Dude. I didn't know why it had to be that this much different at Florida State. I mean, you just look at Royce Freeman, you look at Marlon Mack, you got Cam Akers. This should work. Should the we? I just didn't. I, I underestimated how bad it had gotten on the offensive line, and also the injuries that have taken place. And I think that really because defense has been okay, defense has been fine really at Florida State. Um, and offense. The personnel is is you know I think the quarterback is okay I think that the the receivers are okay I think the running backs are pretty good it's just it's it's kind of all about offensive line and so that that would drag them down so much is is disappointing and surprising um, you know I'm out here sort of hinting like oh could Florida State be in the playoffs <laughs> no way no way. <laughs> I didn't say it, but I definitely like, I definitely like pushed us towards those sort of discussions, as like where, like where is there outside of the top fifteen team that we're not talking about that could make a run? And like, you look at the you look at the way they've recruited, and Florida State should be sort of among that that group, and they're just not they're not they're not close. Um. All right. What about what's your preseason prediction that you want back? That one's an easy one. I. I predicted USC in the playoffs. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I it's I'm not I'm not um I'm not counting out the possibility that they get hot and end up 10 and 3 or something. Because that I do think is that is in the realm of possibility. Right. And and I'm I'm sort of hoping that happens just so that my my preseason pick doesn't look so terrible. Because they do, I, I do think JT Daniels kind of been what I thought he would be. Um, I do think I, the, the this is another one that was just like, how does a backfield with Stephen Carr and Agus Cedric Ware and Vi Malpi 
can they only rush for like 26 yards in a game? I just don't – it doesn't, doesn't like register with me how that's possible. And I, I am disappointed in sort of the – and that's a team that's had some attrition from transfers and suspensions and things like that. And offensive line is, continues to be a work in progress, which who knows when that's going to get solved. And so there, there was enough – there was enough like circulating information about that program – to where I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been that bullish on them. I should have made them prove it a little bit. Um, so I would, I would, I would take that one back for sure. Uh, Sam Ellinger is a Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year. Not going to ride with that one. I can't. And in, even, even with his improvements, here's, here's I mean, he's not well. Well, he's he's just he, he can't hold a candle to, to our boy Kyler. That's the problem. Or Will Greer. Or Will Greer. Yeah, that's. I think that. I think that my overcorrection on West Virginia, which might not be an overcorrection, it might have just been I was that off going into the season. I I think that I'm looking across the Big Twelve and I'm thinking even if like Sam Ellinger is a Texas hero, I don't think he's going to beat Kyler Murray or Will Greer for uh for the Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year. And I thought about taking back Wisconsin. But I'm gonna ride with that one. I'm gonna ride with uh, Wisconsin as a playoff team. All right, so we'll get to the ones where I, I, my my Sam Ellinger prediction was like last year. I made a prediction: Sam Ellinger will be an iconic Texas quarterback. And I've been very bipolar on that one. I've jumped back and forth. Like I've had a, I've, I've I don't know how I felt about it. I'm back to right now after that TCU game being like. Yeah, like I still think that could hit. He'll be a four-year starter or a three-and-a-half-year starter, whatever you want to call it. He's not going to leave for the NFL early. He's going to be. He's going to have a bunch of like bulldozer runs and moments in his career. He's gonna. He's never going to be this elite NFL quarterback, probably. But I kind of think Sam Ellinger is, is going to finish his career as one of Texas' all-time favorite quarterbacks, just because of the style of play, sort of vibe he he carries with him. So I'm with you that this this season probably isn't going to be some sort of a Big 12 Player of the Year season, but I do think Sam Ellinger is starting to round into maybe being that kind of quarterback that's just a fan favorite who just gets some wins that that's and 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 grinds them out. Hey, that's that's not a bad thing though. Um, all right, so what are you gonna? What's the preseason prediction that might not be looking good that you're gonna ride with? I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my Michigan pick. I'm gonna ride with Michigan. I, I look. I, I'm not gonna say I'm confident that they're gonna that they're gonna be in the playoffs or that they're gonna win the Big Ten, but everyone counted them out after losing to Notre Dame on the road um, by a score with a new quarterback. Uh, you know, just getting figuring things out, and I I don't I'm not ready to re up. And double down after a blowout against Nebraska and Western Michigan or whoever they played, but I do think that there's a chance they start to get some mojo. There's a chance they start to figure out their new personnel, and and this is still going to be a team. Look, Wisconsin comes to their place. I think they go to to Penn State, uh, but. 
Ohio State, I, I still think there will be a, t- a time will come where Ohio State will lose to Michigan. I don't think this is an eternal Ohio State spell they've got on this program. Michigan's good enough to win that game, and I still think this could be the year they do it. So I'm, I still think that is a very tenable pick. Like I'm, I'm down to ride with that one. Like I think I can still hang in there with that one. I'm gonna still rock with Wisconsin. Uh, I don't want to sell that off quite yet, and I'm gonna say that my preseason notion that uh, we, we, it seems like the two quarterback era has come and gone, right? Like we started the year and I was, I was beating the two quarterback drum. And now it seems like, you know, it's Tua at Alabama. It's Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. Justin Fields might get a little bit, but it's Jake Fromm at Georgia. It's Ian book at Notre Dame. It feels like we've settled it. It feels like we're done, but I'm going to say that, Somehow, some way, Alabama and Clemson are going to need those backup quarterbacks, Kelly Bryant and Jalen Hurt. So I'm going to ride with the idea that we are not totally done with the two quarterback era, even though it seems more than anything like it was a giant talking point, And now we've just settled into status quo after four weeks. And I would never wish yeah, injury I, I, on anybody. I would never wish injury on anybody, but that's definitely part of it. You know what I kind of want to see, just for just because I think it would be fun. Like I would love to see Tua keep going on this historic Heisman campaign, and then just like Auburn game or you know Nick Saban just sort of rolls out there and Jalen plays the whole game out of nowhere with a, a totally different game plan, a totally different style that whoever they're competing against wasn't prepared for, and or or, or Kelly Bryant or you know Brandon Wimbush I just I I'm curious like I, I think that'd be fun to see someone pull that ace out of their out of their it probably sounds better in like a video game than in reality you know it's probably a lot less actually like implementable in reality to, to, to do that that sounds cooler than it probably is but I think that would be I think that'd be fun to watch to be like all right you've been you've been watching Jalen or, or Tua throw it around the yard all year here have fun with stopping Jalen Hurts this game like the, <laughs> the option yeah, yeah, yeah iron bowl of the South Carolina game like Jalen Hurts starts against Auburn Kelly Bryant starts against South Carolina right yeah yeah no we just we just thought we'd give our uh dynamite all-world QB the week off we figure right. we can win the rivalry game <laughs> with our backup the level of disrespect like you're right there is the scheme angle which might work out better in a video game like you're going to catch him off guard but right. the the disrespect of the opponent is beautiful. Yeah, like we don't we'll we'll yeah let's let's just rest our let's rest our, our big dog. And let's let's keep him fresh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, team most likely to improve. Uh, you mentioned them earlier, so I'll, I'll real quickly jump on. I think I think Michigan has improved, and I think Michigan will continue to improve. There will be defenses later in the season that are going to provide much tougher tests, but. Man, like going back and start, I didn't get a chance to get my eyes on it much on Saturday, but it's it's kind of looking like Michigan's offensive line. I, I mean, are they kind of starting to figure some stuff out? And I think the coaching staff knows a little bit more about what it's got with Shea Patterson. I just I think the improvement line has been going in the right direction, basically across the board offensively and, and defensively. We have rarely had questions. I just I get this sense that Michigan is going to continue to improve from where they are right now. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm offensive line. Yeah, I mean they look better, but again, they've been mashing teams that they really can't can't roll with them athletically. And so, I want to see. You know, when's the next real test for Michigan? I'm pulling up their schedule right now. Is it like Wisconsin? Like they get they get Northwestern and Maryland coming up soon. Which are still teams like even though I mean Northwestern's decent in the front seven, so that's not I mean that's not a pushover. But then they got Maryland, they got Wisconsin at home. So I don't know that I'm fully going to be like a believer that they figured things out on the offensive line until they can move Wisconsin. But yeah, like they've showed some encouraging signs over the last couple of weeks. What about you? Uh, most likely to prove I got. I'm staying Big Ten too. I got Michigan State. Mm. I, got, I just think Michigan State is this. I mean, I, it's sort of the same philosophy I had when I picked them to beat Arizona State, which was a, which was obviously like not a good pick. But I just think Michigan State. Look, they go and I think Indiana is a pretty decent team, and they beat them by by 14 points. Um, I think that we're we've seen this before, where we you know Michigan State the product doesn't look pretty. They got an ugly loss early in the season, and then you just sort of start to doubt them. But they'll they'll get the run game figured out. They'll get the offensive line figured out. They'll start to re sort of reestablish their identity. And I think by the time we get into that meat of the schedule, where they're playing Ohio State at home, they got Michigan at home. Um, you know, those are. I think by the time we get to those matchups, Michigan State will be back to the point where, like, all right, this this team could beat anybody in the country if 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 it's the you know if you get them on the right night. And so, uh, I'm I I I just I've seen this before. Michigan State will look really physical, really impressive by midseason. Um, team on shaky ground. I got Auburn. Yes. No, you got- <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> if we did this, how many like, how many like midseason? status reports would we talk about Auburn as being on shaky ground I feel like this is they're always a team that's just on the verge of shaky ground like they they live in this territory so they could also be the alternative where they just like survive shaky ground world and then come out on the other side as, as as an elite team but right now you know they beat Washington that's that's commendable that's great big win okay all right but they lost to LSU at home um then you know they beat Arkansas handily, but it, it statistically wasn't an impressive performance. Yeah, wasn't sharp. I don't think they. You know, you don't leave either LSU Washington game feeling like great about who you are offensively. Uh, now they got to go to Mississippi State. They got to go to Georgia. Got to go to Alabama. Then they got Texas A&M in there, which is a, a much better team, I think, than we had anticipated. Um, I don't know if Ole Miss is going to pose a challenge or not. Hard to know what that team is. And Tennessee feels like that's going to be one that they'll handle pretty easily. But those three big road games right now feel like losses to me, and that that's eight and four. You know, A and M could make it seven and five. I don't know. I, I just seven seven got, and five uh, a year after winning the SEC West is shaky ground. That is a drop right. off. And if we're going to shaky ground, look we. We listen. We rattle off like six dudes that are transferring after four games. I mean, that's sort of not a great indicator either. Um, I don't know, man. It's just this is just sort of 
it just never feels smooth at Auburn. Well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very abstract way of saying it, but you know, I just never feel smooth. Uh, who you got for your quarter season Heisman? Tua. Uh, Tua, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could make a case. Who, who else you make a case for? You can make a case for, I guess, Will Greer. You can make a case for maybe Kyler Murray. I think Kyler. Uh, I think Kyler's is his top competition, and I'm just go ahead and locking in as Dwayne like Dwayne Haskins. How about Dwayne Haskins? Dwayne Haskins. What about Mackenzie Milton? I don't think he's going to win it, but I think that dude is just going to continue to have six touchdown games, so that at the end of the year you can't like he's going to be everyone. Uh, the, the Heisman Trophy voting, the Heisman voters get a first, a second, and a third, and that's it. But that doesn't mean there's only three finalists. It has to do with where the cutoff is. I feel like Mackenzie Milton is going to be everyone's third place vote. I don't know, man. I think he's too far off the radar this year. And I mean, look, unless they, unless they really continue to blow teams out and they're sitting there and, and everyone else picks each other off, I, I think there's some good candidates this year. Uh, better candidates than maybe I even anticipated. Because Kyler Murray's a lot better than I thought he would be. Um. Dwayne Haskins is sort of the best case scenario version of himself that we sort of were were previewing heading into the year. Um, I just think that there's, I think we're seeing a lot of Justin Herbert looked like a Heisman candidate for sure yeah. the other night against Stanford. So because there's a lot there, the the big name quarterbacks at the big name schools are going to wash him out. I think that he's, I think he's going to be. He's gonna to be too far down the list this year. Uh, what's your freshman of the year? Caden Stearns at Texas. Oh, that's a good one. I'd Rondale Moore at Purdue. Caden Stearns. I talked about this uh, on a video with twenty four seven yesterday. Like, but if you think about it, Texas's big games against Ohio State, uh, or I'm sorry, against um, TCU. You had two picks. Um, and two big picks, big moments that really sort of turned the game. And against USC, that game was 23 to 14, and USC was kicking a field goal to make it 23 17, blocked it. That's returned for a touchdown, and now all of a sudden it's 30 to 14, and it feels like it's out of reach. Like that's the, I mean, he is injecting some like juice to that defense and really I feel like that team right now and the way he's been playing the times he's doing it I, I, he is and he's all over the field like you can't miss him um I think Caden Stearns has been an uh, absolute dude the uh the Texas defense in general has started to in the last two weeks sniff closer to what I, we've been hoping to expect and see from Todd Orlando and that group and Stearns is absolutely a big part of it. Yeah. Um, higher, I've got Steve Ensminger, baby. Nice one. Like, I like I like what he's done. Man. He's finally living up to the the rhetoric that they're going to involve the 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 uh, the wide receivers. You know, maybe if you want to if you want to sort of cast players as you know labor, you could say. Joe Burrow also pretty good hire too. Yeah. Got, got the, the NCAA would uh, very much like that we don't cast players as labor, and they have uh, right. they've gone to long many many efforts to make sure that we don't. Uh, what's your yeah. hire? 
my, my hire is Jeff Grimes at, at BYU. Talk about like a culture. I don't know. I don't know how much of this is him, but they look totally different. They look tougher. They look more physical. They look more crisp, crisp and clean. Uh, if at this rate he saved Kalani Sataki's job because that was going south quick, and it felt like this was going to be an inevitable end to the Kalani Sataki era at BYU. They've been awesome on offense. They've been fun to watch. They've been crisp and smooth. And and ironically, your best hire and my best hire were on the same staff last year. And, you know, Matt Cannon has been a pretty decent hire at Maryland as well yep. in, in an interim role. And all three of those guys were at LSU last year. So, um, you know, that staff wasn't that bad last year that offensively. They couldn't, you know, that, that, was, that put up a disappointing offense prompt. Okay, so what about your – let's see. You want to go best game? What we got left? Best game and coach of the year? Best uh, game and coach of the year. Okay. Uh, let's go. So yeah, all right, whatever. What what, what do you want to do? My my coach of the year is Jimbo Fisher, and I and I had a hard time figuring out exactly what. Like this is a it's hard for me to go with a team that's two and two, as coach of the year. But, and and I'm and I and I wonder if I'm a little bit underestimating what he inherited somehow some narrative built up that that A&M was a mess and I'm not sure it was a mess but I've been very impressed with sort of the tangible difference in Texas A&M this year versus last year and in particular Kellen Mond this year versus last year um they've lost two games yes but they did and and you know they in some ways they outplayed Clemson and they were clearly the most competitive team Alabama's played so far. And so I just feel like if you're an A&M fan, you are probably more juiced about your hire than anybody else in the country. And I think that what he has accomplished so far, what that the, and just the product he's put on the field has been, I, I think, pretty eye-opening. You almost sound a little college football playoff selection committee-esque with your good losses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but okay, but like, pitch me on who the other coach of the year should be. Um, <laughs> Co- coach of the quarter year, David Cutcliffe. Yeah, okay, but who have they beaten? <laughs> I mean, Northwestern on the road, Baylor on the road, doing it with uh, two of your four best players out for the year, having a nasty defense, figuring out ways to get it done. I mean, I, that's fine. And Army Army win looks better. Army probably. win looks better. Um, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with that. I, I, I I'm not. I don't think that's a bad pick either. I just I think that it, this is almost like a preemptive coach of the year because I wonder what A and going to look like the rest of the year. And if they lose all of these big, you know, if they lose to LSU and Mississippi State and Auburn, and they're just but they're all very competitive, close games to all of them. Then what? You know, what have you really accomplished? Nothing. You just, you just, you know, put some lipstick on some bad losses. Um, so yes, I get it. Like I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to go overboard. I just think, given that it's a, a small sample size for everybody right now, I like from a coaching standpoint, what Jimbo Fisher has brought to the table. And from a coaching standpoint, I think that you could also make an Ed Ogeron case. Uh, you could, 
Ed Orgeron's a good one, actually. I, I like that one. Um, I think I think David Cutcliffe. I know that he's not going to end up as the national coach of the year, but I'm a homer. I'm a Cutcliffe hey, fan. I gotta he, give that the, love out. I mean, if he goes and knocks, like he probably if if Duke's a six point favorite against Virginia Tech this weekend. If Duke goes a like, all right, this is gonna sound weird when I say it, but it's it's not like if Duke goes eleven and one, and I think they will be favored in all but two of their their remaining games. If Duke goes eleven and one, he's a pretty good candidate for coach of the year. Agree, absolutely. If if they get to ten wins, if they go ten and two. Yeah, and, I mean, and, yeah. and I bet they at this point, I bet they go ten and two. I do like not. I, would, I, I would do not bet, bet ten and two. You think they'll slip up somebody somewhere? <laughs> Who's going to beat them? Yeah, I just, I just think somewhere, just somewhere along the way, you just feel like they they just don't have it to, enough to because like that ACC doesn't look good. Yeah, but I mean, it's not also like they're running away from the pack in any of those games, and it's just you know when you are operating by winning at the margins, which like David Cutcliffe has built this Duke program preaching winning games at the margins and fourth quarter scoring margins and turnover margins and, and trying to figure the hidden yards and, and all those other coaching cliches like that. Like Duke puts that into practice and that is the reason why they've been able to elevate themselves uh, to the point where they've got more wins in the David Cutcliffe era than I think the previous like four or five coaches combined like this, that, that is a way for Duke to win. But when you're playing the probabilities it's not like their percentage advantage over teams is big enough that I'm going to bet that in all of those, you know, 65% chance to win games, there's not going to be a 35% chance that pops up at least once. Agreed. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, yeah. But at the same time, if you tell me right now, Duke ends up 10 and two, it's not it, like it doesn't take. It does not take a leap of faith for me to get there. Like I very, I, it, I very quickly can can see that playing out. All right. So, what's your uh, game of the year? Oh, uh, Army OU is is one of my favorite games ever. ever. This game was so awesome. I watched it on replay, and it was like it was it was like a. It was like an algebra equation. Like I know this game finishes twenty-one twenty-one, but how in the world does it get there? <laughs> you know, it was almost like more enjoyable knowing the score because let me just like read to you these drives. It was first opening drive. Uh, Oklahoma just slices through Army's defense, sixty-eight yards, two minutes forty seconds, touchdown. Army's response 16 plays nine minutes and 31 seconds touchdown okay oklahoma six response six plays 65 yards touchdown two minutes and 38 seconds army's response 16 plays 75 yards (laughs) almost nine minutes touchdown oklahoma's response four plays 66 yards a minute 44 seconds Touchdown. At that point, it's 21-14 OU over Army. And now that now it's like two-minute drill. Like There's like three minutes left in the half. Army has an eight-play drive, punts. They get a stop against OU, and then sort of the half ends with, with them having the possession. So 21-14 at halftime. All right. Second half, 21-14. Army gets a three and out. Oh, you think that's like that, – that's, that's all you needed. Like they got their one stop. 
Army goes three and out, and then OU gets a pick. Right. Uh, then they pick OU off. So like then all right now we're back to even. Now, Eighty-five play, ten minute forty-seven. <laughs> that, that, that's almost a whole quarter. They had the ball to score to tie it, and then uh, you know, then then OU has a they 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 stop OU on a goal line stand after a seventy-eight play four minute drive. Then they ha- Army has a ten, another ten minute drive. Is that the one that ends they, in a missed field goal? No, that's the one that ends in an interception. Oh. And, and then uh, Oklahoma has a. Uh, anyways, so then we get like overtime. So long story short, like this was just it was so fun to watch. Like such contrasting styles. It was so fun to watch. Like like one of my favorite competitive like settings i've ever played in in my life and i play we won like i won a couple state championships in basketball in high school won a couple in football had you know played on some pretty above average teams in in college and football but my like one of my favorite games i ever played in was uh city championship eighth grade basketball we played this team that was like the best like everyone on their team was like shaving and like driving in the games and like it was just this they're all like, like their front line was like six five six four and all week, we just uh, we practiced just holding the ball. We were just gonna stall the whole game, <laughs> like just because there's no shot clock, obviously in eighth grade basketball. And the final score we lost, but the final score was like 18-16. And it was so fun to just you know you, every possession counts. You can't make a mistake, but that like discipline was sort of fun to to like to practice and to tr- try to institute and in, against like a really really good opponent and that, that felt like what I was watching against Army is this like incredible discipline to just and Oklahoma had to have it too because if Oklahoma misses on a scoring opportunity they may not get the ball back for 10 minutes it was just I I, I loved that game um, you know and, and I thought it was just sort of fun to watch uh, a, a really disciplined tough coursing team just just take it to one of the best teams in the country so I I saw a take from Alan Kenny at, on Twitter at Blatant Homerism, big time Oklahoma guy. I've I've always enjoyed, trusted, and reached out to him for OU opinions. He said uh, he looked at it as though Oklahoma's defensive staff figured that they could just roll the ball out there, play their normal defense, and get out of there with the win and that it did not seem like there was very little uh, specific game planning for Army's offense and that they almost got bit because of it. It was, I mean, it was, I don't know how you, I don't, I don't know. I mean, because the, be the contrast sort of he used was he said, if you go back and look at the Duke Army game, Duke had a specific plan away from its base that was specifically put in place to play Army. And granted, that was the first game of the season. Duke had a lot more time to put that in place. And Duke also plays Georgia Tech. Uh, for Oklahoma, it was he like his his take was I hope Lincoln learned his lesson that you're not always just gonna be able to go out there and play bland and win. I understand not putting, you know, not not trying to to do too much if you don't have to, but that was just too close. I mean, it was Army was executing with such precision. And I think like they talked about in the game that 
you know, they had some walk-on receiver that was you know, played the Army quarterback in practice. And um, but when like there's no way to even with with the athletes Oklahoma's got on their scout team, like there's no way to simulate how fast things operate in that Army, you know, triple option. And it was just it was executed so well. The quarterback for Army is this like smooth calm like plays with so much rhythm um at, at sort of just this point guard under center and uh and he was just they were i mean they were just getting what they wanted and that's exactly like you don't even for, for a team like oklahoma you don't even want to draw like you want fourth and ones like and you'll go for it and it was funny too like they had a fourth and eight and it's like well yeah might as well just go for it because it's, if oklahoma gets the ball i don't care if they're getting it on their own 30 or their or the opposing 30 like they're gonna score so just keep on going for it. So it's just this whole dynamic just made it really fun to watch. And almost, like I said, it, it's equally enjoyable to watch the replay because just sort of trying to figure out how this equates to, to a final score of 28-21. Was it uh, – yeah, yeah, you said algebra, right? Is, al- right. is algebra where you had proofs? Uh, that, I feel like that's calculus, right? Or geometry? I don't. Oh no! Yeah, you're maybe this <laughs> when you when you're like trying to work backwards and trying to figure right. out how this happens. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, algebra is where you have like whatever. You, you got to bring the balance. You're trying to solve for yeah. x or and yeah. 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 <laughs> so you got you know you you know you're gonna have a 21 21 final score in regulation. But what is and, x and y? But, but how in the world does it get there? Because I can't figure out how they're gonna stop Oklahoma. Um. Selfish one here. I went LSU Auburn. That was, I mean, it was it, yeah. was, a, it was a hard hitting. It was a fun game. Uh, the other one I threw on there was Ohio State TCU. I thought that was a great day of football. That one two punch was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I, that that was a really good one too. I mean, that was a fun one. Big plays, great atmosphere, uh, defensive scores. Felt like a big time game. We'll see if TCU has the kind of season the rest of the way to make it retrospectively a big time game. But, uh, but certainly felt like Ohio state beat a really good team at the time. And I would also accept Clemson A&M as another one of the best games of the year, a game yeah. that had Barton Simmons buying all the Kelly Bryant stock that there was available. Dude, that is a misrepresentation. <laughs> I just said, Kelly Bryant appears to be good enough. And he was, he, they haven't lost yet with him. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, and so do remember, of course, Trevor Lawrence will be the starter uh, this weekend when Clemson plays Syracuse. That should be a very, very fun game. Very interesting. Uh, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll have the great Aaron Taylor on for Wednesday's show, so make sure you're subscribed. If you're not, I'm sure we'll get into all things Notre Dame. He was also on the scene for Virginia Tech Old Dominion, so any any fun color that he can provide uh from being in the stadium for the monarchs big win uh barton thank you very much sure.